How are we doing this morning? Thank you for coming out to hear the word of the Lord. Uh, I'm going to pray here in a moment. Just want to make a shout out to the men's lead we met this morning. If you're in the men's lead, will you stand? I just want to thank these guys. Uh, there's about a half a dozen or so. All of you, you guys stand. Let's give them a hand. We so appreciate these guys. They are steering for this next year and uh, what the men should do. And uh, there is a knife exchange on the 10th. A chili feed. I was asked to make chili, so I'm going to make an average Joe chili. That's just meat, beans, and a flavored sauce. But I guess some of these guys are really doing some fancy stuff. So we have about 30 to 40 guys coming out to that. We encourage you to come out. It's 11 o'clock on that Saturday, and then they'll do a brief sharing and a knife exchange. A great time to connect for men. I mean, no, it's important for the men to get together. All right, ladies get together, but the men we need to get together. It's so. Uh, We're just thankful for that and what they do. Well, let's take a moment and pray. Ask for God's blessing here this morning. Father, we thank you for this time, this moment. Lord, I recognize that in myself, I don't have anything good to say, but through the power of the Holy Spirit, I ask that you speak through me. Give to your people what they need here today. I just thank you for every person that you are so awesome and God enough that you're able to speak to every heart. You're just all-powerful. And I just thank you for speaking, challenging, exhorting, touching, healing, delivering, setting free all of us here today. We ask this in your name and all God's people said, amen, amen. You know, I'm going to kind of bring us through the fast track because there's an illustration I want to get to towards the end. But I want to talk to you. This is actually our 14th week and I'm bringing to conclusion on our series of Spirit, Soul, Power. I know you've endured 14 weeks God bless you. But I want to talk about the ground briefly here in a moment, but I'm just going to jump into some things that we've talked about and recap each week about uh, this series. And our text has been in Mark chapter 4, but we're actually going to use a parallel uh, in the New Testament in, in Luke today about the ground, and he brings out a little bit uh, more different aspect than Mark does. It's been the story about the parable of the sower. And we've used these real basic, elementary, just visuals about these boxes that identify, as I believe the Scripture brings out, our spirit, soul, and body, that that's what we are made up of. That's how God created us. And here's the thing, your spirit, man or woman, will live forever. Now that is a powerful statement that when you die, you don't just dissolve into nothing. You continue on. And those of you that have had relatives that have gone on, passed on, that knew the Lord, you will see them again. The Bible talks about resurrected bodies. Now, I don't know about you, the body I have today, I'm looking forward for that body. Amen? Sometimes when I get out of bed, come on, some of you over 50, it's like, where's the the bike in it, you know? That resurrected body, probably shouldn't have said that, but anyhow, amen, you're awake at least. But we're spirit beings, we have a soul, we live in a body. And this body's going to decay. It's a shell. It's going to go on. And, and the Bible says to decay, but not our spirit. It'll live forever. Forever. Wow. So what we do on earth matters. How you live your life on earth, it's the, it's the training ground to reign with God. I just think of what they're doing with these telescopes and they had the Hubble and now the James Webb. And with their, there's a lot of stuff that's getting fed and dumped out slowly to us about how massive and how it's just 
unending our God. And he's a creator. And I just think about that. And I think about eternity. But we started this series talking about the possibility of like, maybe you see, why the word? I come into church and I, I don't experience the transformation power of God's word in my life and what's going on. And, and we've used the illustration that in many instances, our soul, our soul, the sukkah, has not been renewed. And uh, when we repent and we receive Christ in our life, we are born again. Somebody shall born again. That's what that means. Some people think, ah, oh, born again. They make movies about mocking it. Hollywood mocks it. But the truth of the matter is, the Bible says you must be born again. Amen. That means that, you said, what does that mean? That means that spirit, man, or women, that when we are born into this world, uh, that we are born into sin. That's why we got, we got all, I got all my family here. <laughs> and, and, and I do have a granddaughter, baby Jane, but she's sleeping right now. But maybe at the end of the service, we can bring her up. But here's the thing. You don't have to teach the babies to be bad, right? You don't have to teach them, you know, to, to sin. It's just in their nature, all of us. There's a sin nature. But when we come to Christ, our spirit man and woman, God puts his spirit into our spirit, and that's where we become born again. We are saved, but our soul is not. That's been the big, you know, the big idea in this series, which actually I thought maybe was something that was common that a lot of people understood, but I've had at least a half a dozen of people come up and just thank me, but also talk about that they'd never heard that before. And it helps identify, hey, when you stumble and fall, yes, you are a believer, but it's that stinking soul that needs to be transformed and renewed by the word. Can you say amen? But here's the thing that is also a very huge component of this whole series, that this, this unsaved soul is super powerful. I mean, it is like amazingly powerful. People have broken habits. They've transformed their life. They've used group, uh, you know, just grit, will, force to change their lives, to change their futures just by the power of the will. How many know what I'm talking about? People have, you know, they can do things that you never thought they could do before. Break running records. They can, the, the will is super powerful. And that's what happened after the fall, that the spirit had ascendancy. But when Adam sinned, the spirit actually became on the bottom. And this is how mankind operates. The soul is in power, the will and the body, but the spirit man was uh, uh, isolated, or I should say it was crippled, it was bound, it was not free, it wasn't alive. Uh, it, 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 was, it, it, was, it was bound up by the power of the soul. Satan had ascendancy. But thanks be to God, to Jesus Christ, somebody say amen. He came to say, you know what, I'm going to change that. I'm going to transform, I'm going to bring my power that if you accept and receive me in your life and you repent, I'll come into your spirit, man, and I'll give you power to change the soul. And that's what it means to be Christ-like. So that unsaved soul is the deciding factor. This is powerful. On whether or not that Christ-likeness in us, which we want, it's going to be released out of our born-again spirit. So that's why it is imperative that we understand the importance of spirit, soul, and body. How many still with me? Say amen. Now watch this. 
We said this, that a spiritual person, which I believe everyone that is here today, they want, they want to, they want to operate, they want to be a known as a spiritual person. Not someone that's weird, crazy, you know, they get their head in the sky, and, uh, but one who lives according to and is led by their born again spirit. How many of you know that when God leads you, he leads you only into truth, right? He doesn't lead you into, you know, disaster. He leads you into truth led by their born-again spirit instead of their body and soul. And what happens is we finding out that many of the things we thought were maybe just us were really our soul, which was us, but we weren't really being led by the Spirit of God. And uh, we said this also, that if we do not engage, engage this battle to keep our relationship with God alive, we can lose it. Now, what does it mean by that? Does it mean that God's going to leave you and you may lose your salvation? I don't believe that that's an easy thing. I don't think that's an overnight thing. But I happen to believe that we can backslide to a point that we can turn our back on God. It isn't that God turned our, his back on us. We can turn our back on him. But that's a once saved, always saved. That is a debatable thing since the 1500s, and I'm not going to deal with that. It's just how I live my life. Okay? <clears throat> but but, but, that's, but that the Spirit is what God is desiring for us to, 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 to keep our soul intact, if I can say it that way. And, uh, but if we don't engage this battle to keep this going, if anything, we're going to live a very defeated Christian life. I don't want to live that. At times, I know what that's like. I just don't want that. And so the, the importance of abiding, we use that word, to mean remain, the Bible talks about remaining in the Lord, because if we don't abide in God's Word, we're never really going to become all that God has for us. So what does that mean? That means this week, we need to be abiding in the Word of God. I just want that to sink in. <laughs> you can breathe in and say, yes, amen, Pastor. But our lives are so busy, our life. But the most important thing that's going to carry us into the purpose and the will and the, the place that God has for us is we continue to abide. Bad things will happen, but if we continue to abide, God will direct us. And re- How many think bad things didn't happen to Joseph? He did the right thing all the time. We read about it. He didn't do anything wrong with Potiphar's wife. He fled. He did everything. And everything seemed like it went from good to worse. But how many know in one day? One day God turned that around. And that's how you have to live your life. Say, Lord, I'm going to trust you. This season right now feels like I'm in the pit. And my family threw me in it. This season right now may seem like, you know, I'm in a dungeon. And I did the right thing. And why am I suffering? How many here this morning? Say amen. And so that's what God wants. And so anyhow, that's been enough on that. But let me just quickly get into what uh, we want to uh, get into. Uh, Last week, we talked about how powerful the Word of God is, that it's incorruptible. It lives and abides forever. It's powerful and it's pure. And here's what I just want to say to summarize that. We have this very special kind of seed. It is an incorruptible. It is a powerful, it is a pure seed. And it lives and abides forever. That is God's Word. And the results of planting such a seed can be amazing, miraculous, starting off just with a little seed. You know, in the fall of 99, this church was birthed with a handful of people. Some are still here, part of that. Some have moved to heaven, and, and, and they have their reward. But it started with just a little seed, a crazy Italian in his basement praying with the music on that sometimes was too loud, you know, that would wake up my wife. And, but just, just, it, it, just a little seed, and it has grown and affected nations. That could be in your life, the Word. 
and what you've done. And I'm not saying it's to start a church and all that. That's what the call was on my life. But God has a seed for your life that will flourish. And if it's anything, it's raising up a generation of warriors in this day. Having kids, grandkids, and, and on and on, and raising godly kids. I mean, what a powerful, powerful testimony to the goodness of God. Can you say amen? And then very quickly, we said that every good seed has within itself the potential to develop in a plant. And we said there's dozens of time, uh, times in the New Testament, the Greek word sperma was used, translated as seed. And uh, that, that means God's word has life in it. The, the logos. It has life in it, and it carries with it the power to accomplish exactly what it says. So the issue is not the seed, and we talked about that. The issue is the ground. We'll get into that in a moment. But let me just uh, hit on this first, because I want to encourage some of you. Hebrews 2.1, and this is our part. Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed. Somebody shout earnest heed. How many know that we have a part to play? Some people just chalk everything up in their relationship with God with God. He's going, to, he's going to do everything. He's, you know, waiting on the Lord. It's, how many know we need to learn to wait, right? But waiting on the Lord, if you actually look that up, means like a waiter. Waiting, carrying something, serving. That's what it means, waiting. Waiting on the Lord. Watch this, watch this. It's going to meddle with some of you. It doesn't mean just showing up at church, then it's time to leave and you shoot out of here. Amen. It means connecting with people. It's getting, come on, amen. It makes it get in your life saying, okay, I want to wait on the Lord here. How can I serve in God's house? How can I love on people? How can people get to know me? How can I get to know the people? Amen. All right, pastor, move right on. You're meddling there. But he says, give them more earnest heed. That is our role. That is our, with our spirit, soul, and body. To the things which we have heard, lest any time we should let them slip. Some translations say to be carried away or drift away. I'm going to just hit on things about drifting. This is a big thing that's happened with many people. And the enemy, I think it's kind of a double-edged sword, this whole COVID thing, what's happened, everything in our nation. Uh, there's things that I'm kind of, in a, in, a, in a positive sense, thankful for COVID, it revealed things. It opened up. Kind of like if you've ever had a piece of plywood out in your yard that you've had it sitting in the weeds. I mean, know what I'm talking about. And you haven't lifted up that plywood. And then one hot summer morning, you go on and lift it up. What do you see? A lot of bugs. And then a lot of things. School boards. And we lifting up what's being taught to our kids. Wait a minute. What are you saying? What? A lot of stuff got lifted up and a lot of stuff got exposed. And so now we're action. We're, we're involved right now. We're, 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 we're stirred up. How many with me say amen? But we need to give all the more earnest heed to the things. Why? If we do not, it'll slip. Uh, earnest heed means a concentration of attention of your will. Unless, uh, actually, let them slip means lest possibly we drift away. Or actually, one translation says, carried along by the current. Mm. Unless the mind be held closely to the words that God has spoken, we will drift. This is why it's so important. If anything you get out of this series is to have a daily relationship with the Lord in the Word. If, if, if half the church or three-quarters of the church, and I don't know who's doing what, I don't know, but I know this, that the Word, when you see it, people's lives being transformed, you know the Word is working in their life. Somebody's in leaning in and they're inviting. That's what that means. Even though they may go through very difficult times when it seems like all hell's breaking loose, that person still, they're leaning in. They're leaning into the Word. Someone say amen. Here's the thing. 
drifting is the thing to be afraid of. Did not Jesus say in the last days that men and women, they'll, they'll drift, they'll fall away. And whether we are in the last days or there's, you know, hundreds of years left, I don't know. The point is, drifting is the thing to be afraid of. How many have ever spent time on a lake, maybe you're in a pontoon or just in a boat, and you're fishing there, the motor's off. What happens if you just have everything shut off? The wind will take you where it wants to. Isn't that right? You could be thrown, casting your line, think, oh, it's a good area here, and you pulled yourself into a nice little harbor. Oh, there's good bass here, or maybe we can find a trout, or uh, who knows, whatever. And you get pulled away by the wind. Next thing you know, you wake up, or you look around, you could collide into a, a, another boat, you could collide into a dock, or you could get stranded somewhere. How many hear what I'm saying? That's when you do nothing. When you don't abide, the current will take you. It will, come on. Amen? The current will cause you. The current. And why? There's little friction. And the passengers don't even know they're moving along until, boom, you collide. I remember a few years ago, I think it was, we are out in, in Boise visiting Zach and, and Maddie, and, and they have the Boise, I think it's the Boise River, and we were on the raft. And, and so I'm on there straddling it, and it's moving along this river. It's not that deep. A lot of rocks, full of rocks. And... Uh, I, I don't know what happened, but it happened so quick. A big rock hit, and I was off. I was off the raft, and, and then I'm thinking all of my uh, Montana river rafting things that they teach you for that 30 seconds, how to survive. You know, like, what? <laughs> and so I tried to keep my feet forward, but this thing was pushing me along. I could not stand up, even though it was only maybe two and a half, three feet. I'm thinking, oh, God, oh, God, keep your feet forward. Watch your head on the rocks. And sure enough, we got to a little sandy area I could get up. That was something that happened quickly. That's not what drifting. Drifting is slow. You know, should we continue to, I don't know, it's a busy day, whatever. People pull away. They pull away from the things of God. You know, I just slipped away from reading the word worship. Slip away. You know, church, you know, when's the last time we've been to church? Come on, somebody. It's just little things. They're not big. If they were really big, you would go, whoa, hold on a minute. No, but it's the little things. I just want you to be very conscientious about the severity of the drifting in our life. And it happens, it just happens very slowly. And next thing you know, we wind up somewhere we thought we would never be. Mm. When I think of this in the Hebrew, oh, excuse me, in the Greek, let them slip. How many know there are a number of currents in our life? How many know time is a current? Right? It carries us away. Time carries us away. If you allow time to keep ticking, which it will, it'll continue to tick. But if you don't engage it and do something in that season, time, it just, days, uh, I, I wrote this down, days of passion and devotion to the Lord that can drift. And next thing you know, you wind up, it's like, you know what, I meant to get around to that. I meant to whatever. Or you know what, when we get older and we're you know, married now, when we start having kids, I'm going to, it'll drift. It'll drift. How many know that time can carry you away? How many know that free time doesn't exist anymore? Remember those days, 30, we all, I have some free time. There is no more free time. It's the time you make. <laughs> it's not, there's nobody has, anyone in here has a schedule that says, this is my free time. No, it's not. <laughs> You make time for that because you got to turn right around, maybe go back to work, or whatever. Are you meeting with somebody? And so, so another thing would be familiarity, that, that things, the prevalent tone of the people around you. How many know the people around you, that is a current? Do you hear that? 
that is a current and it has effect on your life and your future. You know, sadly, but truthfully speaking, there are some, let me just hear, I say this in a life-giving way, there are some relationships you grow out of because they decide to camp out here and not go any further, but you want to go further in the things of God. How, I'm just saying that in a life-giving way. It's sad, but it happens. Here's the thing, don't camp out. That's not being a holier than thou or you're better than anybody. No, it's just the posture in your heart saying, Lord, I want everything you have and I don't want anything to hold me back. You can still be loving, not snobbish. You can still, but there are some relationships, if you stay in them, they'll hold you back. I don't know how else to say it, but most of you understand what I'm talking about there. That's out there. And another thing, talking about currents in our life, work, uh, the busyness. Busyness can be numbing behavior. The drive to succeed, <clears throat> just staying busy, just staying busy. Uh, my wife and I are type A personalities, firstborns, and that at least me being the firstborn guy in the family. And, and there's this constant thing about what's next, what do we got to do? And, and, and the Lord's teaching us through the years to just be in the moment and enjoy the moment. How many hear what I'm saying? You know, there's an interesting scripture that actually there's a whole message on, but it's in 1 Kings 20, 39. And I thought it was a very interesting, it's, there's a background to it. The brief of it is, is there's a prophet who disguises himself and he goes before King Ahab as the Armenians, or the Syrians, Armenians came out against Israel. And in uh, and, and, and this verse, it says this, it says this in 1 Kings 20, it says, as the king passed by, the prophet, he cried out, but the king didn't know he was a prophet. He disguised himself. He said, your servant had marched out of the middle of the battle. When suddenly a man came over with a captive and told me, guard this man. If he goes missing for any reason, your life will be exchanged for his life, or you will weigh out a town of silver. But while your servant, watch this, was busy here and there. While your servant was busy here and there, the man disappeared. Mm. And the king of Israel said to him, so shall your judgment be to you. You have pronounced it on yourself. And really, the prophet took off his, you know, his disguise and said, you are the man. You are supposed to take out this king and you let him go. You know what? I think that is a spiritual picture of our soul. If we don't guard our soul, come on, church, if we don't watch over this soul, we don't reckon it dead, and we don't, you could say soul slash flesh, whatever, how you like it. But if we don't, if we don't let this thing rule our life, but if we don't guard it, we will lose it. You will lose it. Next thing you know, you know, I was busy here and there. You know, I meant to do it. I meant to get around to it. And then he just disappeared. Here's the thing. Your soul will take charge of your life. And it will lead you into destruction if you allow it, if you let it. But we don't want that. Can you say amen? All right. Very quickly, <clears throat> we're talking about now the ground. Luke chapter 8. Um, <clears throat> it's this very similar parallel about uh, uh, the, the soil here. And how many know that it's very difficult for plants to grow, almost impossible on solid rock? But weeds grow everywhere. I drive by, and we just poured this concrete on the side. We had to pour 700 feet of concrete for the city, all right? <clears throat> I'm a little sore about that, but I just, you know, why? <laughs> so we, we did it, and between the curb and the sidewalk, there is no fertilizer. There is no black dirt. It is gravel. And I, how many of you, I've seen a few weeds out there that I've gone in, and I'm like, how in the world do these weeds? And then you try to pull them, you'll cut your hand. They're like... 
how did they, but it's thriving out of that nothingness. Weeds grow when you do nothing. (laughs) Weeds grow, just do nothing, and they're strong. They're strong. But it takes, it takes good soil. It takes water. It takes nutrients for things to produce fruit. Weeds, they just grow out of, it almost seems like cement they can grow. And so Jesus He distinguishes between four types of ground referring to the hearer of the word. Here's the thing before we get into these four things, we're going to go through them quickly, is that none of the four classes, watch this, pictured in this parable, none of them despise God. All of them have a heart for the things of God. Now watch this. The first is the wayside. The wayside type of ground. Um, They are hearers that are the Bible talks are hardened. Either they're beaten flat by life, or maybe it's perversity, maybe it's indifference, but these are wayside ground hearers. Luke 8, 12, those by the wayside. The wayside, actually, in the Greek, actually means the edge, the peripheral, uh, the place furthest away from the center. Uh, and that's the thing. Satan wants to keep you on the peripheral. He wants to keep you away from the center of what's happening in the things of God in your life. He wants to keep you removed and separated out, not connected to anybody. Nobody knows you. Kind of like a phantom. You're in and you're out, and nobody knows your life. And that's easy, but it's really you're on the wayside. We don't want that. Amen? And so he says that they are they that hear, then come at the devil, swoops him, takes the word out of your heart, lest they should believe and be saved. I thought of an illustration of like who are like that, and I think Judas Iscariot is a picture of someone that was a wayside ground hearer. He was surrounded by miracles. He heard, he saw, he witnessed everything, and he went and hung himself. He betrayed the son of the living God. Wow. Another one would be Pontius Pilate, if you remember, uh, the Roman. Uh, He was in the wayside. He listened and he saw, and he was like, wow. His wife even had a word and said, do no harm to this man, but still, he was a wayside here. It's a person that's unconcerned, that's indifferent. Their ground is unprepared, can be easily trampled down. It's, t- it's tightly packed. They resist anything that has to do with God moving in their life. They don't mind hearing it, but they're not going to change it. It's people today that kind of have the attitude, you know, I want to do it my way. I want to do it for Frank Sinatra. He did it his way. That's the cry of their heart. I got to do it my way. So we don't want to be wayside ground hearers. Can I get an amen? Second one is rocky ground. Rocky ground. Luke 8, 13. They on the rock are they which when they hear and receive the word with joy. Amen, pastor, preach it. Glory to God. Praise the Lord. Amen. (laughs) They have no root. For a while they believe and then temptation comes and they just fall away. There's no strong root. Little depth of soil that is prepared to receive the word. So the word is received, amen, but there's no depth. There's no depth. Nothing that reaches down, that, that, that soil of the heart hasn't been broken up. Uh, there, there are people that, uh, uh, they, in the heat of temptation, when it's turned on, they fall by uh, the wayside. And there's this, like, a barrier that, that when the word is preached, it says, right, amen, but not for me. Not for me in this moment. I'm not going to do that. And so they're caught up in the moment. <clears throat> they may even shed tears. Shed tears. I think of in the Old Testament, uh, 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 Esau and Jacob 
And uh, Jacob deceived him. He was a supplanter. He was a trickster. Sold his birthright. But it said that Esau cried, cried. I want it back. I want it back. He couldn't get it back. How many know tears doesn't mean you're repentant? It's awfully quiet in this full gospel church. Amen? Amen? So you could get, but strong emotion doesn't mean like, oh, they're really serious. No, because you could have tears and not change. Rocky ground, rocky ground. Think about that. Impenetrable rock. You know, I thought about how do you break up that? How do you break up the rocky ground? Um, I'm so thankful. And I really like about Minnesota is like the open fields. And uh, when they plow and these farmers can make that thing look like it's just perfect, that dirt, that nice, rich black dirt. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. And, and, but my dad, he had a tiller. And the tiller, he used to have real big tires on it. I thought it was a Toro. Did a little research. They call it a wheel horse tractor back in the 1940s. There was no auto start. You wrapped a rope around the, come on, somebody, you know, and the rope would whack you in the face. And it's like, we got to get them there. And it's like, it was always tasks trying to get this tractor, but it was a big tractor and it had back, you know, to tillers in the back that you would just drag, you know, or just dig into the dirt. He was like, Mike, go get the tractor started. We want to plant for a garden. And it was always a field that was just full of junk, you know. And so I finally get that thing going. Let me tell you something about tilling. If you've ever done it on soil that's never been broken up, it's insanely hard. It's insanely hard. Now we have them there, a woman standing there with one arm holding, you know, tilling. That's how they advertise it. Power start. It has a cup holder, you know. When I had this tiller, it was like, <laughs> and then if it hit you, wherever it hit you, it could take you out. How many know what I'm talking about? Some of these old tillers, you know, they were built like tanks, but this was like hard, it, it, which tells me there's effort in breaking up rocky ground. Effort in our heart. At times it hurts. At times it, it's digging deep, and I don't like it. It's painful. But that's what it takes. Come on, somebody. That's what it takes. What's next? That's breaking that up. Second Chronicles 7.14 says, he says, when he promises that, if those who are called by my name will humble. Someone say humble. That's the first step in breaking up the hard ground. Humility. Humble and pray and seek my face. Turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven. Forgive their sin and heal their land. Humility always is the way to break up that fallow ground. I don't understand. It hurt me. I, I, that's how I took it, but I, I just lean in. I let the word of God. I trust the person that they love me. They have their best for me. The enemy lies to you all the time. They're after you. They're trying to get you. I mean, no, the enemy's a liar. <clears throat> but you have people that care, spiritual people in your life. Hang on to them. Amen? Hang on to them. <clears throat> and so, so that is a key in breaking up fallow, rocky ground. Then there's the thorny ground. Almost done here. The Bible says in Luke 8, 14, and that which fell among thorns. These are, I'd say, those that produce very little fruit or not much fruit at all or no fruit. They which, when they hear, they go forth, but then they are choked. Some shout choked. Cares, riches, pleasures of this life and bring no food, fruit Excuse me, to perfection. In other words, they don't mature. Uh, there's no fruit. There's nothing produced in their life. There was a series I did a number of years ago. That's probably been some time about growing up spiritually. 
and I went through uh, uh, many weeks, probably a dozen weeks about how from, a, from an infant spiritually to a young man to a grown full man talking about spiritual growth in our life. And we can make that available if anyone cares to listen to it. How important. How many know that God doesn't want you to stay a baby? Amen? I mean, I'm so thankful. We've been hugging on little baby Jane and kissing her, getting all our videos, getting all our stuff. They leave today, I know. But, you know, just soaking everything in. But, you know, the next time I see her, she should be bigger. And uh, she's just about starting to crawl right now, but she, I don't know, hopefully we see her when she's still, still crawling. That means we see her more often. How many hear what I'm saying? But, but she'll be walking. She'll be, you know, stages of life. God wants us to grow up. Amen. <laughs> Myself included, he wants us to grow up. And I think about it, it talks about cares, riches, and pleasures. Cares, what are they? People that are struggling in life. I don't know how we're going to make ends meet. How are we going to pay this? How is this going to happen? I just I don't know. I think it's so concerned. There's the people that they, they really struggle in life. Then there's the riches, people that are well-to-do. Uh, they have money, but they just they, they, that also, it, it chokes the thorny ground here. And then there is the pleasures, leisurely, people that are idle. It, how many know all this affects us all in some way? It affects us all, but it, it's a spiritual truth. And so there's this weird mixture of the word and the flesh and applying the word in our life and our response to situations. God wants us to grow up. Someone said it this way. He said, the window display in your life turns everyone away from buying into what we have to offer. We don't want that. We don't want to turn people away. Can you say amen? And then finally here, the good ground. The good ground. Here is Luke 8.15. That which is on good ground are they which... In an honest and good heart. I like that. In honest and good heart. Having heard the word, they keep it. They cherish it. They bring forth fruit with patience. Let me say that again. They bring forth fruit with patience. There's a patience that is generated in our life as we bring forth fruit. And uh, their ideal conditions, the heart is well, receptive, and it's prepared for the Word of God. When the enemy comes in to steal that Word, to swoop in, they resist the enemy, saying, no, I'm going to hang on and bite onto this Word. They allow the Word of God to penetrate in our life. They meditate, as Psalms talks about, day and night. That's before them. This is, they've determined to live their life for the Word of God. Can you say amen? And the results of such practice is abundant fruit that glorifies God, and it benefits not only you, but it benefits many other people. Can you say amen? And so stand with me if you would, please. I'm going to read something here. It's about three and a half minutes. He's like, can you stand for that? Yes, because I'm going to conclude here. But I want to just end with, uh, uh, I said this before, as we started off this series. Now watch this. Everything you need to, again, be in the image of your heavenly Father is given to you the moment you accept Jesus. That spirit, man and woman, that is born again, and you receive Christ, everything you need is inside you now. You're not waiting on something else. What's happening is, is a revelation. You're understanding what's in you. That seed, the seed of new life is in you. All right? And all you have to do from this point on, excuse me, is to become and allow what God placed inside you in your spirit, man, or woman, coming through your soul, your mind, your will, and your emotions. Can you say amen? I want to conclude. This is a very powerful story, at least it was for me, <clears throat> and I'd like to read it. And the reason is it just it's 
thorough just to give you an explanation of the power of the Word of God, the power of the seed, the power of the abiding Word when we take it in the most horrific situation, an impossible situation, the Word of God will produce in your life if you let it. Did you hear that, sir? Did you hear that, ma'am, lady, child, young person? The Word of God will produce in your life. The power to change is in the Word of God. There's a story. Let's see if I can pull this up here. Maybe you could help me to that next slide. Should be mutiny on the bounty. It's a ship. So when they pull that up, there you go. So this is not the exact ship, but it's uh, at that time in that era, there was a ship called the Bounty. And... Um, Mutiny on the Bounty, about 233 years ago, was April 28, 1789. It was the date that some of the crew aboard the ship called Bounty committed mutiny against the ship's captain, William Bly. There's been books and movies that have made the ship's name recognizable to most people. This, some of you may already know this story. But the Bounty was a ship that set sail from England in 1789 for the South Seas. The idea was that those on board would spend some time among the islands transplanting fruit-bearing in fruit-bearing trees and doing other things to make some of the island more habitable. After 10 months of voyage, the bounty arrived safely at its destination. And so for six months, the officers of the crew gave themselves to the duties placed upon them by the government. When the special task was completed, however, the order came to embark again in the sailors. They rebelled. They had formed strong attachments for the native girls and the climate and the ease of the South Sea Island. Uh, the, the, the island life were much to their liking. So the results were a mutiny on the bounty. And the sailors placed Captain Bly and a few loyal men adrift on the open seas in a small boat. So for 48 days, it's insane. 48 days, Captain Bly crossed 4,163 miles. And the men on that small boat were extremely disciplined and they rationed their food and the water, the little water that they had. But in an almost miraculous fashion, Captain Bly survived in those men that ordeal. They were rescued and eventually arrived home in England, London, to tell their story. So an expedition was launched to punish the mutineers. And so in due time, 14 of them uh, were captured when they returned to Tahiti and paid the penalty under British law, so they were hung. But nine of the mutineers had taken the bounty and set out to find a place where they could hide. Mutiny was, after all, a capital offense. So 12 Polynesian women, six Polynesian men, and one infant joined them. After months of exploration, they found Pitcairian Island, 1,350 miles southeast of Tahiti. It was about two miles wide, and one mile long. Sounds like a paradise to some of us today, isn't it? And, 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 so, and so there was no people that were living on it, this little island. It had abundance of coconuts, breadfruit, and other useful crops. So what they did is they destroyed the bounty, the ship, and they burnt it in the harbor there. They, didn't, they wanted to avoid detection by passing ships and settle into their own paradise. So if you've watched the movie or read in the books, that's the last scene if you happen to see any of the older movies about it. But I remember Paul Harvey in the radio station. And then, you know, he always he says, say, now the rest of the story. So this is what they don't tell you in Hollywood, but this is what happened, which is miraculous. It's amazing. <clears throat> Unlike the first paradise, however, this one featured hidden danger. 
unfettered sexuality provoked jealousies and rage. The root of the tea plant, one mutineer discovered, amazing, on a remote island, could be distilled into liquor, and they began to make their own Hawaiian moonshine, is what it later became. The underlying problem, though, was building a society with criminals, concubines, and malcontents. Within four years, all of the Polynesian men and half of the mutineers had been murdered. Four years. A few years later, only one Englishman remained, Alexandra Smith, along with some fearful women and children and who knows how many babies at that time. So this is where the story really begins. While poking through the items that they saved from the ship they just left there on the island, Smith discovered a Bible. It was new to him. He had never read it before. He began to read it, and the divine power of God's Word reached into the heart of that hardened murderer on a tiny volcanic speck in the vast Pacific Ocean. It changed his life, the Word of God. Wow. Smith accepted Jesus Christ into his life. He became a disciple just from reading God's Word on an island all by himself. The peace and love that Smith found in the Bible entirely replaced the old life of quarreling, brawling, and liquor. He began to teach the women and children from the Bible until every person on the island had experienced the same amazing change that he had found in Jesus Christ. In 1808, 20 years after the mutiny, an American ship, the USS Topaz, discovered Bacarian Island. The crew of the Topaz was shocked to find a miniature utopia, a community of 35 English-speaking Christians living in decency, prosperity, harmony, peace. There was no crime, no disease, no immorality, no insanity, and no illiteracy on that little island. How was it accomplished? By reading and believing and practicing the Word of God. The Americans reported their find, and six years later, the British ship rediscovered Pecarian. Although the crew had orders to seize and kill any mutineers they found in the South Pacific, they couldn't bring themselves to disrupt the peaceful community by punishing Smith, now known by all in the island as Father. In fact, no one came to seize him, and he died on the island in 1829. Years later, the effects of God's word continue. Nearly every person on the island is a Christian. The island, originally settled by criminals and fugitives from the law, has a courthouse. It has never hosted a trial. Bacarian's three jail cells house only life jackets. And this was the model. This is the actual Bible that he picked up, scrambling through, and they actually have it framed in Britain, in London. And uh, where he read the Word of God, and he taught that whole island. And it was this. Read the Bible, change your life. Read the Bible, transform your soul. Read the Bible, transform your family, save your family. Read the Bible, transform your community, change the world. Every head bowed, please. The Word of God is the most powerful weapon that we have against the enemy. The Word of God is the most powerful weapon that we have to survive and thrive in a crazy climate that we live in today. It's through the Word of God that we are transformed. It's through abiding in the Word of God you can save your own life, sir, through the power of the gospel. You can rescue your family by teaching and training them the principles of the Word of God. You can affect generations to come that they'll be in heaven, those, those children's children's children of yours, and they'll do the kingdom of God and the works of God by abiding in the Word of God. 
What a powerful story. What a true story and a testimony of the Word of God. You say, Pastor, I'm here today. I'm now right with God with every head bowed. You say, you know, I need God in my life. You need God. The Bible says now is the time. Today is the day of salvation. Your spirit man and woman could receive Christ right now. You have a part to play. The Bible says if you repent and believe the good news, you will be born again. Then that means God's spirit will come and live within your spirit man or woman. He will save you. And then the beginning of the process of transformation of your soul. But, but, but I need to clean up my act. Yeah, I'm, I'm doing this. I'm doing that. I'm in the middle of this. These are really bad behaviors. Get saved first and allow God's power and presence to transform your life. You can't change your life. Only God can. With every head bowed, you say, Pastor, pray for me. I want God in my life. I'd like us to pray in unison here this morning. And whether you're listening to this later online or uh, maybe on YouTube or whatever it may be, you say, you know what? I, I need God in my life. Pray with me as we pray corporately. Say this to me. Say, Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for my sin. Jesus, I'm a sinner. Save me. Come into my spirit. Save me, Lord. Forgive me of my sin. This day, I give you my life. Now take it. Thank you for saving me. I make a decision today to serve you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen.